So welcome back to everyone who just took a little break or didn't take break. Uh, you're listening to Fifth Wave Radio, Queerly Drinking. This is Pamela Louie. And for the next hour, I will. I am joined here in the studio, which is always a treat when somebody actually comes to the studio, by Lauren Tebeck, who is an award-winning creative working in film, music, and the arts. Lauren has received a National Lesbian and Gay Journalism Award for Excellence in Online Journalism for a piece she wrote about her experience co-producing and directing Never a Cover, a uh, short film about the Lexington Club, San Francisco's iconic dyke bar, uh, which I know is very much missed. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, in 2017, she made her pop music debut in the Frameline Film Festival and in 2021, San Francisco Indie Fest Best Music Video for her self-directed video, That's What We Do. Most recently, Lauren has been shooting Queer From Here, an ongoing geographically specific portrait project she founded that explores modern queer identity. Since 2019, the exhibition has been shown in museums and galleries across the United States from San Francisco, California to Nashville. In 2021, Lauren was awarded a Clio for her documentary, Love Me Like You Should, a short about disco icon Sylvester. Her current music project, Charles Mercy, is a multimedia lesbian western and collaboration with American songwriter and producer Chuck Prophet. The, the boot called Charles Mercy, Equal Parts, Lounge Singer, and Gunslinger, and Country Queer described the project as a total left fielder in all the best ways. Lauren lives in San Francisco with her Texas boo and her dog named Lou. I uh, love that. And recently built a backyard pizza oven that she wrote a song about called Pizza Oven Blues. Well, God, we're going to want to hear that. Thank you for being here, Lauren. Did, did I get everything, or is there something else that we need to that was left out. Yeah, Pamela, thanks for having me. Uh, I think you got it. Okay, cool. So um, thanks for coming down here. I know that for a lot of people now, it's just so much easier to hop on Zoom, so it, I appreciate it. But it's always great when we have an in-person interview. It does make a little bit of a difference, and I usually like to have a bottle of wine. And my my bad, I left it on the table in a rush to get out the door, so we're here drinking beer. But you know, once in a while, that, that's just what you got to do. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah, cool. So you have done so much. I'm, I don't even know where to begin. And I think that there's there's so many things that we could discuss here. And given that, that there are time constraints, we we should like just narrow it or not narrow it down, but we'll just make sure we don't go down too many rabbit holes anyway. So let me ask you, though, how did you get become such a creative person? What's what was the like, what was it that set you off? Oh, I, you know, um, I really don't know how to answer that. I think that um, I think that most people are creative in their own ways, um, and I think that there's, you know, a lucky few that that find a way to keep practicing that in a way where you get to put it in your job description. You know what I mean? Like, I, I. Um, I, I, I don't know how it happens, but I feel lucky that I get to do it. Well, when did you start, let's say, when did you first pick up a camera? When was the first time that you, you wrote a song? When, like, when did you start realizing that this is something that, that you had this creative urge dying to get out? Um, you know, I don't know when that happens. I do remember, you know, my mom was very supportive of me doing things right like I remember she put me in ballet and I think I like hid in the corner and cried she put she gave me piano lessons and I I remember like crying through my recital 
Um, but so she definitely fostered that. And I remember being a kid and like just sitting at the piano trying to like pick out Beatles tunes. Like I grew up with my parents had a record collection and I grew up just like listening to Beatles records over and over again. And like my dad had a lot of Supremes, Motown stuff. Um, so, you know, I feel like I've always been kind of like noodling. Like I'm definitely a dabbler. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, uh, so and. Um, you know, and I took some photo classes in high school. We had a, you know, a dark room and whatever, and I've just been kind of like bouncing around between things and here we are. Here we are. So, so let me just ask you, who was your favorite Beatle? You know, I got to say John. Yeah. That's okay. You can say who you could say whoever you want. I was a huge Beatles fan too, and George was my my guy. But, uh, George was my mom's guy too. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny though, because like people have their Beatles, their favorite Beatles, and they'll like fight to the death with their favorite <laughs> Beatle. And uh, at this point, like, it's fine. Love who you want, or, yeah. or don't, uh, or don't like the Beatles. I know people don't like the Beatles. That's okay too. You know, <laughs> that's not going to stop me from liking them. But anyway, we we digress. So I would love to talk about. Let's just start talking about queer from here, which is the portrait project that you've been doing. When did you start doing that? Um, I think it was 2019 that I started doing the first shoot. Um, And it was really just like, you know, I'm one of those people that I I like doing stuff. Um, I find it easier to hang out with friends and like have a project than it is to like sit down at a bar, for example, and catch up. Um, So I called this friend of mine, Luke Over. I was like, oh, I have this idea. Like, I want to do a portrait of you, like kind of in your day look and then your nighttime looks. And I want you to talk about being queer. Um, and he was like, okay, great. And, uh, so he came by and we did this thing. And I remember I was dating someone at the time who was kind of like, well, you know, is, is passing even relevant anymore? And I was like, well, it's not about passing. Um, it's kind of a, it's more about flagging, right? Like it's, you know, we're really privileged to live in San Francisco where we don't, you know, for the most part, I feel like most people feel pretty safe being queer here. Um, but, you know, actually, I feel like, well, I'm going to digress now. I, I feel like you gave me a question, and I just, like, went out totally no, no, different okay. direction. No, that's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll pull you out of it okay. when, when need be. Well, Go ahead. Well, you know, recently there was this, like, meme going around that you probably saw um, after the Club Q shooting that was, like, it was a quote that was something like, um, if you don't believe, if you don't understand gay bars as safe spaces, then you've never been afraid to hold someone's hand in public. Mm-hmm. I, I actually didn't see that, but yeah. Okay, it was something along those lines, and, right. and, and it really resonated with me, and I think a lot of people, and that, you know, as I've done this project and I've talked to hundreds of people about their experience, like, as soon as you get out of the Bay Area, like, this project becomes something else. And I don't want to say like much more important or relevant, but I think we all kind of take it for granted a little bit living in the Bay Area, like this idea about, you know, flagging and passing and and feeling safe. Can, can you just say for like our listeners what you mean when you talk about flagging and passing and what oh. you mean by that? So, you know, passing is that typically like if you're in a space where you uh, don't want to be identified as queer, like can you pass as straight? Mm-hmm. And and the project initially was called Gay Face, and I had uh, I, the, I don't know the name just came to me or whatever, and so I, I did like a quick Google search and didn't see anything, and so I called it Gay Face for the first like two and a half years I was doing it, um, 
and gay face like if you look it up on urban dictionary is like you know uh, a male's face has specific feminine features or whatever but it's really just about like do you seem gay right um so that's that's what passing is it's like you know you're in a space and no one knows you're gay um and flagging is kind of the opposite of that where you are signaling covertly to let people know that you're queer mm-hmm. or there's lots of types of flagging there's right. like snm flagging with handkerchiefs and, and whatnot right yeah 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 so when for the project how many have portraits have you done so far um i don't have a tally but it's i think i hit 100 like a couple months ago and do you find people yourself or do people come to you how does that work both Mm -hmm. um when i started doing the project it was just with friends it was really just like people i wanted to hang out with and catch up with um and then i started getting messages from people like hey you know i have a story i want to tell or like whatever so it's a mix yeah cool how do you and here, here I guess is a, the question which I think might be a little bit more relevant for in some part places like the Bay Area than some others. Like, what makes somebody queer? Because, for instance, when you say when you get out of San Francisco or the Bay Area, people tend to feel less safe. I, I, I think that you know, in New York and Los Angeles, it was probably similar to to the Bay Area, but in a lot of places where and where you have shut your work or people who who you photographed, I saw from parts of the country where even if let's say they might live in Nashville there's Nashville is like an oasis and then there's like rural Tennessee which is you know much more conservative and where homophobia and transphobia is much more normalized and accepted and so like I think that for people let's say who are you know in queer in, in certain places like that it really is a um and I'm the, I. This is just me saying, but I look at, at as being an act of bravery too. Whereas I think that if you uh, call yourself queer in places where there already is a very big LGBTQ population, it's not so much as uh, an act of bravery as it is sometimes can be some you know something else too. And I think like I know people, I know a number of people who call themselves queer. And they have, you know, they're they're people who've never been in a relationship with someone of their own gender. They're, and and I'm not saying that they're not queer. I think that our definition of what we consider queer has, you know, is really evolving. I know people who, if you look at them, they're completely cisgender presenting, but they consider themselves non-binary. And you know, I think it's 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 up to us, let's say, to have, you know. Yeah, we all have, let's say, what we may or may not consider queer, and you could also say, you know, if someone considers themselves queer, that's good enough for me. But do you feel that there is within the Queer From Here project that it is big enough where you can, to really say, where you could have like the person who comes from a very uh, open place where there's a very open acceptance and idea of what queer is um, and hold it in the same space as people who are come from other parts of the country where it's like their lives might be on the line for coming out as being queer in one way or another. Absolutely. Um, th- there was a lot in that question, but I'll say, I'll start with- Yeah, I, I tend to be that way, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I, just I need a no bad, Pamela. Um, I'll say that 
it was really interesting when I was shooting, when I was producing the shoot in, in Nashville, I, I got a couple responses that were like, here's my story. Am I queer enough? And I was like, honey, like I'm not checking references like your dating history. You know, like if you tell yeah. me you're queer, then you're queer. Yeah. Um, and then there were people who were like, I'm, I'm bisexual. Is that enough? Like, and, and you know, I, and people didn't want to take up the space from from other people that they mm. felt had more. I don't want to say legitimate, but like uh, they should have been front and center. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as I'm concerned, if you if you tell me you're queer, you're queer. I don't have like a checklist. Right. Yeah. 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 No, and I think that's that is like, especially if we are trying to be an open community. You know, it's not like, oh well, you're you don't mean this. You might be. You know, you can't you can't call yourself something because you've never done this. You can't call yourself gender queer because the the entire world sees you as being one thing. It's it is very much about that. But I, I do I do wonder because I think that it, and as I do see, there is you have a lot of diversity amongst the people who have already done the portraits. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about like what they what they're saying and what they look like, but it, but but it is talking about like what they're saying and their identities and their descriptions. Yeah, that was the second part of your question that I meant to answer. Is yeah. like the the context is so important. Like that's why I have people write their stories, right? It's not just like this is what a queer person looks like, but here's like in their own words, like their experience. Yeah, yeah. So we need to take a quick break right now. Uh, for those of you who are just tuning in, you are listening to Fifth Wave Radio, Queerly Drinking. I am Pamela Louie. My guest is Lauren Tabak, who is a local queer artist of many different i'd say of many different trades of a number we're, we're discussing right now lauren's uh recent project queer from here which we're i'm sure we're going to get to that again uh throughout the show so keep listening kxsf is horrified and saddened by acts of violence bigotry and hate targeting our aapi brothers and sisters we condemn these despicable acts and stand with our Asian American and Pacific Islander communities in actively combating the prejudices that fuel it. Together, let's raise our voices and work to encourage change through collective action. For more information, go to kxsf.fm slash kxsfacts. Okay, welcome back. This is Fifth Wave Radio, Queerly Drinking. I'm Pamela Louie, and I'm having a really fun interesting discussion with Lauren Tadebeck who is a local artist and we were just discussing Queer From Here the project that you've been working on where you take portraits of queer identified people throughout the United States um, and it's yeah it's a it's a great project I will say that you took as I said probably the best picture anyone's ever taken of me oh uh, thank I you. know I, I <laughs> I don't think my partner is listening because she's at work, but she'd be like, wait a second, what about all those shots I've taken? And I'm like, nah. I was, good, but no. Yeah, but, that, but that, that, was, uh, that was fun to do that, and I hope and assume it's, it's fun for other people, but I am wondering, like, this, this process, because it is, like, for you as a photographer, when you have some, a subject, and it's not like you're, you're photographing towels, you know, you're not working for you know, uh, you're not working for like Macy's or something. I mean, you are, you're photographing human beings, uh, which I think is definitely a lot more complex. And then it's also, this is a, a project that really is very much about identity. And I, I assume that, that the people that you're photographing have different levels of comfort 
there are people in the way that you said when you came here that you you felt a little bit nervous about being on air, which is normal. That that's most people do. But I think a lot of people, or when they're being photographed, there's a certain level of apprehension too. So how do you approach it, the the project with the people you're photographing? Well, Pamela, I feel like we have a similar strategy, which is that when I first started, you get that you get you apply them with alcohol. Yeah, I mean, I keep rosé in the studio fridge. It's pink, you know. It goes with the the background. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about this today where, like, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I'm actually, like, very introverted and shy and, and awkward at times, which is why I like to have a project when I'm, like, hanging out with someone or, like, go for a walk or whatever. Um, and so I, I wonder if, like, subconsciously I, I put people on the other side of the camera as, like, a, a weird power move. <laughs> like, now, you know, now I'm going to make you as uncomfortable as I generally am. Um, I don't think that was it, and that's definitely not my intention. But, um, you know, I, I, I do try and make people comfortable and I lead with my process, which is, hey, I'm never going to put these online without you seeing them. I'm going to send you 10 of my picks and we're going to find the one you like the best. Um, this is how, you know, it'll be used. And, and like I said, you know, nothing's going up without you seeing it and approving it. I um, think you only sent me five, which I guess, I mean, the rest of them are probably crap. <laughs> well, we, you know, we had a short session. It was one of those drop-in days where we, it was like rapid fire. That's, it's fine. Um, but I'm glad you enjoyed the process and the product. That mm -hmm. makes me happy. But, you know, sometimes like, and then also at the end, like I'll ask people about retouching notes because, you know, as a woman of a certain age who grew up surfing in Southern California without sunscreen, like I retouch my photos. I, I do, you know, to people like what I would do to myself. Um, and some people, you know, most people are okay with it. Some people are like, no, just like leave me as I am. I want, you know, my acne in there or whatever. Um, and uh, but sometimes I'll have people tell me like, and I feel like there's something about being with a queer photographer where they can say things like, you know, this the surgery didn't go super well and I really want to be shot from this angle only and I feel like that might be harder to tell like a straight person who doesn't know what you know mm -hmm. right that might not be familiar with certain procedures that let's like, say people who are trans or non-binary will like, undergo yeah yeah I, yeah and I mean there's just there's a lot of vulnerability that happens and I really like I feel honored and I feel like it's kind of like my almost community service to like take take this project and help people you know and then I love when I see my photos are like you know if it helps you get a date it helps you get a job helps you get a grant a, a whatever like then I've done my job you know that's that's the goal yeah well thank you yeah you haven't helped me get a job you haven't helped me get a grant you have made me look a little bit better, though. So yeah, doing my best. Yeah, Pamela. a little bit. A little, <laughs> I know. Uh, well, so but what is your the is there sort of an end goal for the project? You know, I think the end goal for the project actually is to have it end, to make it irrelevant. Like if this when this project becomes irrelevant, and it doesn't matter anymore. Like gender doesn't matter, and sexuality doesn't matter. Like that's that's utopia right like that's i think that's what we want where it's just hmm. well i'm asking you like because i i think and i hear you say that and i i think i know like why you feel that way that 
but like isn't it also wonderful to be able to celebrate the diversity and the diversity of what it is to be queer like for instance wouldn't i think wouldn't it be within the different let's say identities that people have there's still so many different diversities for people who are female identified there's so many ways that people feel female for i mean i'll just like being jewish there are so many ways that i feel like my jewish identity is incredibly different from other people's jewish identity i, I i'm sure you know you probably have some too and i think that there's room for it for these different expressions and, and ways that we identify ourselves and that there's something really wonderful about selling, celebrating the diversity because it creates representation. It's kind of saying like there is not just one way to be queer. There is not just one way to be non-binary. There's not just one way to to be a dyke, you know, et cetera. So I, while I, I, I appreciate what you're saying that there is an end, I also love that there's this incredible diverse representation of what of what being queer is yeah i mean i i I get that too and 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 that's you know why i do it i'm just saying in this world that i don't envision happening in my lifetime but like where you you know turn on the tv and like all the shows are queer and all the shows are like people of color or you know non-bi like it's just it becomes that thing where in san francisco you're like oh you're doing another queer portrait series like whatever you know where it's just kind of like, whatever, like, of course, there's, you know, someone who looks like a cisgender man who identifies as female. Like, it's like, I would love for this to become irrelevant. I, do I see it happening? No. No. But, you know, a girl can dream, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> what, in what way do you think that art, and I'm not just talking about the Queer From Here project, but, but art really creates an impact, like, and creates social chains? Because we have, but years ago, this was in the early 90s, I was talking to a, a coworker who was gay. And we were just kind of like mulling around kind of how things seemed then at the time. And like George H.W. was president, which you know, compared to what we've had since then doesn't seem that bad. But, and he said to me, he's like, well, you know, during times like this, the arts will flourish. And, you know, I guess like I say, that usually happens unless, of course, the artists are, you know, are jailed or killed, which, you know, happens in, in extreme cases. How do you feel that art, and let's say even specifically some of the art that, you, that you've done, will, uh, will or has already created some social change? And I think it's fine even to think of it on a really small grassroots level. Hmm. Um. I don't, I'm not aware of any way that like the art that I've specifically have done has created social change. I I will say though, at um, the show in Nashville, there was like a very young person and a much older person together who came and uh, my girlfriend, I was, I was like basically hiding in a corner the whole time, but my girlfriend is is much more um, friendly and outgoing. And she went and talked to these people and it was a woman who had um, heard or she had read about the show. No, it was like a high school guidance counselor had read about the show in the local weekly and told this mother and the the child was having some issues at school and relating to their gender or sexuality. And, and she brought them to the show to be around other queer people. And I mean, this is like a, a kid and, and, 
part of my, you know, I, I would love to actually start working with more youth and, and queer elders. I, I feel like that's kind of what's missing right now for my project. Um, but, you know, maybe it made a difference for that kid, like seeing all these like older, you know, that it gets better. Right. Mm -hmm. And like there was this group of people having a great time and reading all these stories. And that was something that they probably hadn't seen before. Yeah. And that does like that makes a difference. It, it may just be like one kid. But that one kid might actually go and do something that's going to like that's going to re will reverberate too. that one kid may go and tell other people, too. So I think that it may not seem that significant, but but you never really know. And even if it, if the only difference is that it made a big difference in that one kid's life, sure. that's yeah. that's like uh, that's great. And, and, and I think, like, bigger picture, I mean, I, I watched the speech that Abby Jacobson gave. I don't know if it was, like, Glad or something about her show. Did you watch it? Maybe. I watched the show, but I didn't see the speech. Okay. But, you know, just, just talking about representation in media yeah. and, like, how important it is. And had she seen the show when she was younger, like, you know, she came out really late in life, right? Until she just didn't see herself in the media and, like... You know, I can say the same. God, I remember like watching Foxfire or something like that. Do you, did you see that movie? No, I didn't. Okay, well, we're gonna have a little email exchange for okay. later. But um, okay. that was that was really like pivotal in my you know awakening, whatever you want to yeah. call it. But it's it's it is so important. Yeah. To see yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I I think it it is, and especially in places like you're talking about with with queer youth in places like Florida what's happening oh. and it's and obviously it's that it's in other states too where there is systematically attempts to erase the identities of people who are trans or non-binary or and it's not just that it's it's I think it's, it's a really a broad-based uh, uh, you know attempt to diminish all the gains that have been made by the LGBTQ community but you know, unfortunately, when you have places like Florida where they've been able to enact policies where teachers can't say things, that's where I think art can really step in and fill the need. Because what are you going to do? Are you going to tell artists that they can't make certain things? Are you gonna, are, are they, in Florida they going to say they can't show Lauren Tabak's work? I mean, is that off the table? Like, who? I, I, I look. My guess is <laughs> I no. I was about to swear. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can swear. You just can't say one of the five words, yeah, right? Yeah. But, but, like, I, I doubt it's off the table. I wouldn't put it past DeSantis or or any of these other people to to say, well, you know, we can't show this work, or or people there under twenty one can't go. Like, yeah. They, I mean, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna stop. You know, just because they got they say, oh, it's education. They're, that's it's horrifying. Right. Yeah. But but in the meantime, I think that there is a, a place for it. And that's why I think that what you're doing is like, you should, okay, I'm not going to say you should. You do what you want. But I think it would be awesome if you went down to Florida. You've got a whole bunch of people and, and like, added them to the project. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love that. We should talk about fundraising. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> that's good. I was going to say, let's start a GoFundMe for you because I've, I bet, I bet we could do that. I bet we could get that. So we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll okay. talk about that over wine and offline okay. <laughs> a little bit. You are listening to KXSF LP San Francisco. This is Fifth Wave Radio Queerly Drinking, and we'll be back in just a minute. It takes a village to keep independent radio alive and well in San Francisco. 
That's why KXSF is looking for business underwriters to support our station. For a monthly or annual donation, you'll get rotating thank you spots heard on air 24-7 and a prime spot with website link on the KXSF.FM homepage. Support the local arts community and get the word out about your business. Go online now to kxsf.fm slash underwriting. Are you a musician? Do you have a record label? Noise loves indie musicians and record labels. It's inspiring to see so many independent underground record labels, producers, bands, and musicians making music for the masses. Dan is the owner, a full-time musician whose roots in the San Francisco and Oakland music scene run deep. We're always glad to discover artists and share their talent with our customers. If you have recordings on vinyl, CD, or cassette that you'd like to sell here, feel free to contact us. We love hearing from you. Noise Records, 3427 Balboa Street, San Francisco, California, 94121. NoiseMusicSF at gmail.com. Okay, that's enough of the underwriting there uh, for now. Well, we'll, there will be more. We'll get to that. Uh, For those of you tuning in, you're listening to KXSF LP San Francisco. This is Pamela Louie. My guest is Lauren Tabak, who is a local photographer, musician, filmmaker. And we've been talking about her most recent project, Queer From Here, which is a portrait series of queer-identified people throughout the United States. I do want to talk about some of the other work you've done, but, but but before we move on, is Queer From Here just an American project? Have you thought about, and I know that, it's, that there's funding that goes with that too, but would you consider or have you thought about going to other countries and doing it as well? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm waiting for the invitation from someone to come show overseas who will ship these giant portraits i print everything really big they're like god i don't know 36 by 40 or something i don't know the frames are huge like i rented a minivan to drive across the country to you know show them last time so um but yes i would love to yeah well and do you have any exhibits coming up um Nothing confirmed. I, I have some tentative plans for New Mexico in the spring, um, which would be very cool. But, yeah. Yeah. Not yet. If somebody wanted to see them, what's the best way to, to uh, check them out? Instagram is kind of the first place everything goes. Um, what's the URL for it? Or excuse me, uh, the, the handle? Yeah, uh, Queer From Here. Okay. Yeah. Great. So let's see. Let, let, let's chat a little bit about the the movie you're making right now, the Western, Charles Mercy. So tell us about that. <laughs> um, so Charles Mercy is this character that I've had in my head for a long time, and um, I know how the story starts, and I know how it ends, and I'm currently writing the rest. I I'm, I'm not a great sleeper. And so I've, I've found that, like, I can get up at, like, 4 or 5 in the morning. I keep dolly hours, right? Like, I work – I get up and I work on my personal stuff 5 to 9, and then I work on work stuff 9 to 5, and then I do other stuff 5 to 9, and then I'm asleep by, like, 9.15, and I sleep till 4 or 5. <laughs> so Okay, so I'm trying to figure out where that is right now in your day. So, yeah, you're, like, you're about 6 hours from going to sleep. Yeah, more or less. I mean, in the winter especially, I'm just like, oh, it's dark. It's bedtime. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, yeah, but so, but where is Charles Mercy in, uh, like, what stage is it in right now? Um, so I've been working um, with a songwriter, producer named Chuck Prophet. Um, Who, who's local. Who's local, yes. Uh, but internationally known uh, icon, Chuck Prophet. Uh 
he uh so he's been helping me with the music and like i am i'm i'm a music lover but i would not say i am a musician like i write on piano or guitar or like whatever's around um but i'm not a great player and i'm not a great singer um so it's been like even though i've had these melodies and songs in my head forever it takes a really long time to get them up on spotify right like i i don't know we did something recently that is a song I wrote 10 years ago, like finally got it done, right? We haven't been working for on it for 10 years, but I have been working. I've been playing it for 10 years. Um, so anyway, to answer your question, um, there's maybe five or six songs up on Spotify, Bandcamp, whatever now. And I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing what I think will be either like a novella or um, a short, shorter story. And then I'm, I'm going to try and like, eventually turn that into a script you know it takes like a village to make a film and yeah. so I have all these ideas of how I'm gonna do it like have different people play the character um just but that's that's still a little ways off I'm, st I'm just writing I'm writing the story right now yeah so can you tell us a little bit about the story and about the character um what can I tell you about Charles Mercy uh Um, they are, the story is set sort of in the near future. It starts on the Eastern seaboard and works its way West. And there are all sorts of adventures. I mean, like it's a Western in the sense that there's like certain tropes that I'm trying to like turn on their head or, you know, do something yeah. different with, but, um, it's, you know, it's going to be a coming of age story more than it is like a spaghetti Western, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Are you a fan of Westerns? Um, I do love, you know what I actually really love right now? I watched, um, I watched the, is it, oh my gosh, what is it called? Is it the English? It's this. Yeah, that's a show. Yeah. yeah okay. And, and Yellowstone and Monarch and, you know, mm -hmm. they're not Westerns, but they're like in the sort of space of mm -hmm. like that. And, right. and, um, I, I just like the, the visuals and the style and the music are, are what I love. Do I, you know, am I going to shoot a gunfight? Like probably not, mm -hmm. but maybe. Yeah. Well, I think like historically Westerns have always been this very like macho male and very like heteronormative story where even if there's like a woman in the story, she's usually somehow romantically linked to some guy in there. And even though she's a badass and you know can you know, is a better shot than any guy in there, there's still some sort of like femme persona that's attached to her too. And I'm not a big fan of westerns, admittedly, but just just like scanning kind of what's out there, what I I've noticed is that it seems like the whole genre of of western and the way is being reimagined in a way that where it's not quite of this like, and it's always been very white too, where it's not just as much of this like white heteronormative genre uh, but where maybe people can take some of these these tropes and even sort of make fun of them a little bit too uh and imagine sort of a, a a western that is really different from the westerns of like the 40s and 50s of your of your, exactly, <laughs> yeah. of your. <laughs> yeah. totally this is not the western of your <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting, and I don't know if we can like attribute that to like Lil Nas X or like mm-hmm. I'm not sure the moment it changed, um, but to see like a show like Monarch now on TV, which is like Beth Ditto playing a lesbian country singer, mm-hmm. like it's wild. It's so wild, mm-hmm. and I love it. Yeah, yeah, and like I mean, Nope, for instance. Yeah, I that, like I which I just that. saw the other night, the other day, and. And I thought it was like it's a good movie. Uh-huh. I, I actually, as far as like Jordan Peele's movies, I did Get Out just kind of blew me away. So it's kind of hard, especially when you see something like that. But I think Nope is a really good movie, and I see it's it's definitely on a number of like top ten lists this year. And yeah, it is taking the genre, and it's really it's actually taking a couple of genres, fusing them, and or a few not just a couple, but like a few genres and fusing it together, and it's it's very interesting. It's yeah, it's on my list. I it was playing up the street for me, but I wasn't able to see it. Like for someone who like wants to make a movie, like I see very few movies. Yeah, embarrassingly, um, but well, yeah. but you don't really have to go to the theater now. You could stay at home and watch movies too. This is true. I do watch a lot of. I'll say that like sometimes I can't sleep at all, and I just like sit on the couch. Like when the pandemic started, oh my god, I got through so many master classes. Like that's all I would do all night is watch these like master classes. Like I, t- I was like, I'm gonna plant bamboo in the yard and like just or sugarcane or whatever I learned from some like master class. Anyway. Oh okay. Yes, there's... <laughs> this... Well, it was a weird time. Yeah, it was. A, it was definitely a, a strange time for a lot of people. Do you feel like where we are right now? Because it was. Yeah, think about it. A year ago, things were like opening up, but then we had Omicron, and things closed down a bit again. But like two years ago, things were really in lockdown too. For you as an artist, like how has the pandemic, sort of the before, during, and after, shaped the the work that you're doing and your approach to your work? Oh man, so the... I, I know that's a complicated question too. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well. So I, the project, when it started, had a lot of momentum. And my second show in the city was at, like, a bigger gallery. And it got a lot of press. And, I, and then I got a show in L.A. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do, you know? And um, the day I took down my show, I remember, like, rapping stuff and listening to Mayor London Breed shut the city down. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the day it happened. And, of course, my L.A. show got canceled. I always intended to take the project on the road. I was going to go from L.A. out to the East Coast. Like, that fell through. I just kind of, like, it's like, well, I can't, like, shoot other people. Like, this project is about all other people, and I can't do it with a mask, you know. So just, like, everything came to, like, a grinding halt. Yeah. Um, I ended up building a pizza oven in my backyard. Like, that's how I passed the time. Um, But... Was there another part of your question? Sorry. I, 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 I was just wondering for you as an artist how like going going through the pandemic impacted your work, it, or it like if it had changed your the lens through which that you were doing your photography or or music or anything else. I mean, it was just like blackout curtains on the photography stuff because yeah. I work with other people. The mm-hmm. music, you know, like Chuck and I could collaborate over the internet, which was cool. Um, like record this there, send it, send it to a mixer. And so I spent more time doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like, as far as like a, a lens and perspective, no, I mean, I think, I think, you know, it, it definitely made me more grateful to be around people when I finally could again, although that seems like that's sort of coming to a halt again, slowly. How is, why is that well, coming to a halt? Well, I mean, 
on the way over here to listen to NPR, and it's just like, there's now a fourth virus. Oh, <laughs> right? gosh, and I didn't hear that. I myself had pneumonia for six weeks. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And it just, you know, I don't want that again. Hmm. Well, so it's a fourth, okay, I guess, like, I have been listening <laughs> to NPR today, but but I didn't get to that part of it. I'm, I'm sure that I'll find out soon, uh, soon enough. So uh, there's just a, a question that's come through uh, I want to ask you is who have been your inspirations as far as portrait photographers are concerned? And are there any other notables that you admire? Um, I mean, I remember I, I took a photog- one photography class in college, and I, at that point I was really inspired by Kathy Opie, and, and I remember the um, – the photography teacher like dramatically like ripped it up in front of the class which was like kind of his shtick I guess it was nothing personal um but I didn't take any more photography classes after that you know really um yeah but because of that no I I don't know I'm I I don't take direction well I guess although I would love like everything I know about photography I feel like in, in digitally anyway is like YouTube videos mm-hmm. or whatever or just like doing it and learning um, but you know, um, I think kind of like the person who's, whose work I, I really love is, um, oh my God, what's her name? I'm, I'm blanking on it cause I'm nervous, but I have like so many of her books and I watched her master class and she was with Susan Sontag and uh Andy Leibovitz? yes yeah. thank you yeah. <laughs> like actually had someone someone was like you know you remind me of is Annie Leibovitz and I was like <gasps> okay you know wow. but what, what I love about her is like this in her master class she's like oh you know I have like all these kids who do all this stuff and they like make sure I'm focused and like what's the big deal about focus I'm like yeah what's the big deal about focus right but um yeah wait so you're getting questions from people Right oh, no, I just have a couple of friends who are like, oh, okay. who are, I, <laughs> I know I need to figure out a way so that the general populace can, I, like, I don't want to give everyone my cell phone number because, you know, every time I do that, it's, <laughs> I mean, not saying like individual people, it's just it, like, if I donate, then I hear from like 8,000 people afterwards. So, got it, got but it. It, yes, the, we are, this is, you know, the show is a, is a technical work in progress. I just have a couple of friends <laughs> who've asked and I thought of, that was a good question. So I figured, okay, why not? Let, got let, it. Let's, let's ask you there. So uh, let's see. Let's. I'm going to do a, a read a quick break for us right now. Uh, this is about Iran. KXSF stands with the women of Iran and other countries who are being denied basic human rights, including personal freedom of expression, equity, bodily autonomy, and the ability to reach their full potential. We are especially troubled by the state-sanctioned murder in Iran of women who are protesting to obtain these rights. Women, life, freedom. So. Uh, let me uh, just like, this is just a question, which is purely academic, but how would you feel about, let's say, if you were to, someone said to you, you need to go and you, we want to do like a portrait series of women who in Iran who are protesting, you know, the Iranian regime and the repression of their rights. What would like, as a photographer, how would you like? I'm not saying as a photographer, but as you yourself, as Lauren. What would what would that make you think? Like, what would it say that you would think you would want to capture? Oh boy. Um, uh, you, I, yeah, no, you didn't think I was going to ask that. Did no, you? that is. It's, 
was not expected. Um, so I think, I think anytime you're shooting someone, like, you want their. Okay, let me back up. So, with queer from here, like I shoot everything on the same background, right? So like the goal there is to bring people's personality through, right? And that comes like via their fashion or like you know, their expressions or whatever, or, or the, the context of their writing. So if I was asked to shoot a woman in Iran right now, I mean, there's, there's certain ways, like, you know, one possibility would be to, to shoot them in, in the context of their, of their homes and like in their spaces, in their bedrooms. And, and, um, I mean that, like, that would just be such a, logistically complicated and precarious thing to to do um so i'm having a hard time like sort of wrapping my head around that like the theoretical what but Uh, okay well let's say okay since i know that would be logistically very difficult but something that let's say would be maybe not logistically as difficult would be let's say going to i feel i'm not suggesting you do this but just just like as an idea to think about how to conceptualize doing something like that of women who are being oppressed let's say going to places like alabama and florida and places where there is no longer reproductive choice where you can still go there with a the camera like how like how would you conceptualize doing that and granted i'm that this is i know you can't just say right now this is something you would need to think about but if you could think about just like off the top of your head what it is that you would maybe want to capture as a series do you have any idea what that might be specific to reproductive yeah let's say specific to reproductive rights because i mean like art art is political i I think art is political so i mean again like if it was if it was just a photograph and there wasn't text to contextualize it like you know i think what what makes sense is it would be like you know a young woman who's 14 with like twins like in her space or um i yeah in that way you know to to be able to tell a story just just using the image like you really have to a lot of thought goes into it and and right. you know I, I can't say exactly what that would be to that uh, yeah, right no, now, uh, but of course, yeah, and and you know also just something like, I, when I was traveling through the country, like sa- safety is is a thing. Like we're, you know, even in where was the library? Was it in Alameda or where the Dry Queen Story Hour got you know raided by Proud Boys? Like it was Bay Area. It wasn't San Francisco City, but like mm-hmm. these bad things are happening to our people all over and so it's almost like you need a if I was going to do like a public event you know that goes in the paper or whatever like it it almost has to go underground too like Mm -hmm. when I show or when I it's definitely a concern like right I have to think about that yeah no I I think that there are also artists and people who work in that world do need to make choices about where and this is the same thing with journalism like, yeah, where are you, for the sake of art, compromising people's safety, too? Right. So, you know, and they're not easy questions, or they're not, there are no easy answers for, for that. 
and I mean, I think that's part of the thing too. Like, I, I want to work with youth, and obviously, like their parents would be part of that. But it's also kind of like, it's a it's a whole different thing when they're more vulnerable, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So, you made a movie about the stud. Uh, or a video. Well, uh, I did. I did a little thing for the stud when they had that show at Hay Street Art Center. Right. But I made a film about the Lexington Club, which That's right. okay, part of it sorry. was shot it was the at the stud. Okay. Yeah. Yes. My bad. Okay. So the Lexington Club, which I think for a lot of people who live in San Francisco or the Bay Area and are queer identified, uh, at least, or lesbian identified, the closing of the Lexington Club was just like wow. It was the really. I mean, their Wild Side West is, it is a queer bar in, in some ways, but it, you know it's not, it's also like its own thing too. Whereas there was something like the Lexington Club was like this is this is a dyke bar. Yeah. And when it closed down, it really was a gut punch to the community in a lot of ways. Not not, I'd, I'd be, I can't speak for other people, but not that I felt like mad at them for closing down. People have reasons why they close their business, but it just felt like wow, this is. This kind of sucks now, uh, and I, so when you were doing this video, what was your take on it? Like, and I, you know, like especially and with that project or uh, the queer exhibit in twenty twenty one at the Hay Street Art Center, which was great, where there was uh, there were images from the stud, there was the the, vi the video from the Lexington Club. What made you want to do that? Um. The words you used were exactly the words I used, which were, it was a gut punch. Like when I saw the Facebook post from Leela um, saying it was closed. But, you know, it, it, the thing about the Lex was that it actually was like a very successful business. Like 17 years is a long time for any bar or restaurant. Um, but I think there was, it felt like there was this urgency to document what was essentially the only last lesbian bar in San Francisco. And actually I had, so yesterday I had Malia Spaniel in the studio, mm -hmm. um, who is behind the new right. queer bar mother. Yeah, I've heard right? about that. So we were chatting about mm -hmm. it and she's been doing all this research about um, all the lesbian bars of yore. <laughs> Like, well, right, but there's the lesbian bars of yore, and, and this this history is like we can't forget this history. It's it's really important, and I think we we really need to make sure that it stays you know, that it doesn't get forgotten because it for so many reasons. Um, but there's this the lesbian bar project right. that's been happening, and since there's been some press about the dearth of lesbian bars, and I think the first article that really talked about it was came out like three, four years ago. I think it was in the Washington Post. I could be wrong. I think at the time there were 15 lesbian bars in the country, and now it seems like that that might have even doubled. And there is like there's uh, maybe it's not double, but I definitely know there are more. Right? Doubling from 15 to 30 is yeah. not that <laughs> you know it's not like we have a major proliferation of dyke bars, but right. but it's it's something. And I know, like, for instance, there are two women of color who opened one in Mobile, Alabama. So there is, like, there is some stuff that, that's happening now. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as my mom likes to say, the pendulum swings both ways, right? And when, like, all these things disappeared and people were like, oh, my God, like, I hadn't been in three years, but I can't believe it's closed. Well, that's one, that's the reason it's closed. Um, but, you know, generally, I think 
or like, you know, with the pandemic, like I haven't seen my friends in two years. Um, you just sort of get like a, an appreciation and a, a longing and a desire to create these spaces again when you don't have them anymore, right? Or like like the lover that you, you know, didn't think you needed and they're gone and then all of a sudden like you miss them so much. Um, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Well, do you have any thoughts on any other ways that you would want to document queer history? And I'm not, like, you're already doing a lot. I'm not saying like, hey, <laughs> go do this. But but do you have any thoughts about that? Um, you know, I like I think about a lot of things all the time, and and that's part of the my personal problem is like staying focused on one thing and getting it done instead of juggling twenty things. Um, there's a lot, you know. I I don't have any specific examples at this moment of of what I rather be doing or feel like I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, there's a, I, we only have six minutes left and I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever I have interviews with people, especially if it's something like this, where we're in studio and it's really conversational, the time just flies. I'm like, wow, we have six minutes left. But I did want to ask you about the Sylvester video that you did because I love Sylvester. And I think I could probably say that some people listening also love Sylvester. And Sylvester was such an icon. Yeah. Uh, for And represented so much. And then died really young from AIDS. How did you get involved in, in doing that video? Um, for me, that was like one of the good things that came out of the pandemic where um, Amazon had had this project in the works. And uh, I think that like they were unable to send their internal production team to do this documentary that they had envisioned. And so I, I got an email from an agency that I work for called Third Bridge Creative, and they're like, this is the, we have the perfect thing for you. And um, they were like, you know, we've been talking to this guy named Josh Chio, and I'm like, Josh is a friend of mine. Like it, it all kind of like came together, and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I, I've made a lot of music documentaries over my career that's um, – Anyway, and so, like, it just sort of fell in my lap, and I, like, fell deep into it. And it was the craziest thing, because it was, like, the very beginning of the pandemic, and I, I was, like, outside. All of our interview subjects were, like, you know, sort of in their 60s and 70s, and so I'd be, like, outside of someone's house. Like, they shot something on their phone, and I was trying to, like, connect to their Wi-Fi to get the footage, or we'd, like, throw a cable out the window where I was, like, dead-dropping lights on someone's doorstep. It was It felt, like, very Wild West, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that's definitely, like, one of the projects I'm, I'm most proud of. I've worked with, like, an incredible writer named Barry Walters who is writing a book on Sylvester. Um, and and it was just wild that it, the way that came together. And, um, yeah, and we ended up winning a Clio for it, which, you know, felt nice. It's, like, a nice feather in my cap or whatever. But the the – the project was, you know, and, and I've heard people say, like, you know, like, it was very emotional and it made me cry. And not that I want people to cry, but, like, it um, it was a very special project. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you. So it sounds like you have a pretty full plate, but do you have anything else coming up? I'm actually doing the most mundane thing ever in December, which is um, re I'm redoing my website. So, and I'm, you know, if there's anyone listening who I've shot and, and I'll put a call out on my Instagram later, but like, I'm looking for testimonials, like, has this project helped you, you know, find a partner job, whatever, um, you know, made you feel validated or seen, like I'm, I'm looking for things like that. And, and similarly, like, if there's something I can do better, I'm also open to hearing that it will keep me up at night, but please tell me how I can do better. 
Well, and okay, so what is the website? If people want to go check out your website and what you're doing, where can they see it? Um, it's just my name, laurentayback.com. And, you know, I don't update it nearly as much as my Instagram, but I will have a new website next year. Okay. God willing. All right. Well, <laughs> and your Instagram handle again? Um, Queer From Here is one of them, or my name, Lauren Morel Tayback. Okay, cool. Thank you. So I know we just have like another minute or two left, and I feel like if I ask any big question, we'll get into a really big discussion, and we'll go from there. But I did want to just uh, – I had one uh, – another friend asked a question who was wondering about how you balance your creative artwork with your commercial work. I take the com – I'll be honest. I take the commercial work when it comes, and I push the creative stuff aside because um, we live in the Bay Area, and it's really – bleeping expensive and uh it's thank hard you, thank you for saying bleeping I'm not getting <laughs> some trouble there and that's why i don't sleep at night you know for one reason or another i'm all, all trying to, i'm either trying to do my creative stuff or i'm stressed out about money so there you go well uh for anyone who is looking for a great commercial photographer go to lauren lauren morell tabak uh lauren tabak.com or my instagram is lauren morell tabak Okay, great. Well, th thank you. I you know appreciate that, and I, I really appreciate your being here on KXSF today. It's been great talking with you, and I appreciate all the work that you're doing. Likewise. Thank you, Pamela. Okay. This has been a lot of fun. All right. Let's see. Uh, in a f about two minutes, we're actually one minute, we're, we're going off the air. I should just let everyone know uh, where KXSF FM it will be off the, uh, goes off at 4 o'clock, comes back at 10 o'clock this evening. But if you want to continue listening, go to kxsf.fm. In about a minute or so or a couple of minutes, I'm going to be hosting Community Matters, the next show that we have with uh, different community organizations. And I'll be in conversation with Jess Farber, who is the directing attorney for the San Francisco Office of the Immigration Center for Women and Children. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's going on. I guess it's seconds away. I, I can't tell when. But uh, thank you, everyone, who's for listening to Fifth Wave Radio Queerly Drinking. Next week, I will have Janet Dyer on, who is someone I've known in the wine industry but is also a filmmaker. So we're going to be discussing a film that she co-wrote and co-produced on the experience of being female in the wine industry, something which I definitely could speak to as well. 